Looking to generate more revenue and build relationships with gamers worldwide? Let Exola be your guide. Exola, a global video game commerce company, has helped thousands of game developers and publishers of all sizes fund, market, launch, and monetize their games globally and across multiple platforms. To learn more, please visit xsolla.pro slash AOIAAS. Secure your digital world in physical form with IM8Bit. For over 15 years, IM8Bit has been crafting premium expansions of the industry's best games, from pioneering community experiences for Epic's Fortnite World Cup to bringing over 100 award-winning soundtracks from breakout hits like Untitled Goose Game and Disco Elysium to vinyl, and bringing the Ori sequel to Switch. Their passion for artistry and gaming fuels them, whether they're interpreting beloved brands from a new point of view or extending the mythology of another game, perhaps one you're developing. What's the IM8Bit difference? Their collectibles are premium, but for IM8Bit, they're personal too. See for yourself at im8bit.com. Hi, I'm Chris Charla at Dice Reykjavik, and this is the Game Maker's Notebook. Today, I had the good fortune to talk to Kevin Johnson from Double Fine. Very interesting career path. Lots of people go from working at a gift shop to later working in the game industry. Not a lot of people go from working in the game industry to working in a gift shop. So we'll learn more about that and his very interesting path through his career all the way up to the director of development at Double Fine. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to The Game Maker's Notebook, a podcast featuring a series of in-depth one-on-one conversations between game makers providing a thoughtful, intimate perspective on the business and craft of interactive entertainment. The Game Maker's Notebook is presented by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, a member-driven organization dedicated to the recognition and advancement of interactive entertainment. Thanks a lot for talking to us. Um, I think today what we want to do is just learn a little bit more about you and learn a little bit more about your career. And so I'm going to start all the way at the very beginning. So what was the first game, not the first game you played, but I'll ask that too. <laughs> What's the first game you remember ever seeing? Ever seeing? Um, boy, that have to be in an arcade somewhere. Um, yeah, I want to... Well, now I'm saying to jog my memory, um, I want to say yeah, it was Centipede nice. in an arcade. Nice. And what was the first one you played? Um, in the arcade? I, I'm pretty sure I played that Centipede game. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, and then you know, my first home console was an Atari 2600. And just kind cool. of went from there. Yeah. <laughs> and when did you first think that maybe you wanted to make a career in games? So uh, it was actually when I was eight or nine. Okay. Um, it, I was you know, playing games as I did, and it just kind of struck me that, hey, people make games. <laughs> like, I want to be one of those people. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that, I think that for a lot of people, that is like the, this. I, I've talked to a lot of people about how they got into games, and for a lot of people, it's like the second you realize that like people actually make video games and it, it can be a job, there's like just a certain category of people who are like, well... That's what I'm doing. And so how did you go from wanting, and, and, and there's probably a lot of people who think that who don't end up in the game industry. How did you go from wanting to make games at eight or nine to take us from there to college? Okay. Like, so 
So at that point, you know, my only knowledge I had was you can be a programmer, you can be an artist. And I knew I wasn't going to be an artist. <laughs> so um, I started just learning to program. So uh, in school, it was starting with logo. Which is, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, that, that old language. Um, and then eventually got to uh, Pascal. Okay. Um, and just worked. I had little, I would take my class projects and make little games there. And then uh, actually in high school, my best friend, uh, he and I, we would design and make games. And uh, I had a programming class in high school where I convinced the teacher that it would be acceptable for me to make games instead of doing nice. <laughs> the normal uh, programming projects. And he was fine with it. So that kind of let me just, you know, stay focused on that being the way I wanted to go. That's awesome. Do you, so two questions. One is what platform and two is, do you still have any of those games? Oh man. See, this was all stuff. Uh, yeah, I was doing Pascal on a, on an Apple two C. Nice. Um, and no, I don't have any of that oh, bummer. old stuff. Although I mean, I do remember probably the, the one I liked the most was I, I'm a big fan of the game mule. Like yeah. If there was ever a mule remake, I'd be first in line. Um, and we kind of made our own variation of it. We kind of, it's almost like we adapted mule into a board game kind of, um, and yeah, that was that one was a lot of fun to make and do and actually see. That was probably the most complete project that I had oh, done at that awesome. point. That's super cool. Um, all right, I will just add as an aside that Danny Button was the first person I met in the game industry. Oh wow! Like at an early, early GDC, <laughs> and so yeah, and she was super nice. So cool. So um, where'd you go to college? I went to MIT. Nice and majored in. <laughs> um, so. Uh, my actual degree is a bachelor's of science in humanities. I have a generalized humanities degree at MIT, which is not a thing you actually do. Um, what, what I ostensibly studied is now a program called comparative media studies. Uh, it was a graduate course when I was going there and I was taking some of the classes cause they were interesting. And the director noticed that I was taking the classes and said, Hey, I've, been wanting to bring this as an undergraduate major. Do you want to help me do that? And I said, okay, sure. Cause I was at a point where, um, actually realized I didn't want to be a computer science major and wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. So, um, so we worked together, we built out a curriculum and then at the very end, uh, instead of doing a standard thesis, uh, I submitted an application to the school administration, basically saying that, the coursework that I'd done deserves to be a degree. And they agreed, but they didn't ratify it in time for my graduation. And so because comparative media studies is in the School of Humanities, I ended up with a generalized humanities degree. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's cool. Not a lot of people can say they graduated from MIT with a degree in humanities. I so. may be the only one. And this, the yeah. funny thing about that, too, is um, because it's MIT, uh, all the majors are numbers. So like, you know, computer science is course six, math is course 18. Uh, the School of Humanities is 21, but there's always a letter after. So, you know, 21L if you're doing literature, 21M if you're doing music, that kind of thing. Uh, but I'm just 21 and there's no letter. And so when people ask me, you know, hey, what'd you major? And I say 21, I can see the expectation they're waiting for the letter. Just, there's no letter. And then 
you know, that will always spark a conversation because it's usually like, I didn't think you could do that. It's like, I don't know that you can, but <laughs> that's awesome. And, but you're, it sounds like you're, you're, well, clearly your ambitions to work in games survived the end of your ambitions to be a computer programmer. <laughs> and so how did that, um, how did you, uh, you know, spoiler, I looked at his LinkedIn, uh, like <laughs> your, all your jobs, except for a couple that we'll get to, um, have been in games. And so you first job was as a, an intern, I guess, at Hasbro yep. up there in uh, Massachusetts and Beverly. And, yep. and, uh, how did, how'd that happen? Uh, that was really just the standard, like summer's coming around. I'm looking for a job. They had an opening. I applied. And they said, sure, come on down. Nice. So I just lived on campus for the summer. And uh, there was a train that got me out to Beverly and back. Um, had a really good time. Um, you know, learned the value of QA by actually doing it. Um, uh, I worked on uh, NASCAR Heat, which was a hardcore racing set. Yep. So, you know, when you do the Daytona 500, you have the opportunity to actually drive for 500 miles and do it. And I remember worst bug was the one where we found out that, um, at the Daytona 500, uh, the game would crash after 300 miles. So solid, like two and a half hours of testing and driving and the game crashes. And so of course the first thing you have to do is repro to see if this is a thing completely reproed. And then now, you know, so then when regression time comes, you know, we get the build notes and they say they fixed it. And I just said to my leads, you know, the one thing I'm doing today. <laughs> That's awesome. And I would did did testing that game give you an appreciation for NASCAR or a desire to never turn left again? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually did end up with a good appreciation of it. Like there is a lot that goes into just driving a long yeah. distance and then couple that with the fact that it's over 200 miles an hour with 31 other vehicles around you yeah no that's awesome and from there did you you move to the west coast or how did you the next role was at ea so yeah so that was an internship okay uh so yeah i moved out there for the internship and uh it was actually a design internship and uh i was working on paper maps for a, a character action game that ultimately got canceled but in the middle of the internship someone came to me and said Hey, you seem like you would actually be a really good producer. Do you want to try that? And my response was, what is a producer? <laughs> nice. Um, and so after I learned more about it, I said, okay, we'll give it a try. And uh, yeah, ended up liking it. Got an offer letter. Continued on my graduation. They said, you got to go back, get your degree. Right. And then you can come back. And then, yeah, that was the start of uh, producer life. <laughs> nice. And would you say that working on a... I, I guess like you were, you were sort of like a, a noob in the game industry when you worked on this game that got canceled. Did, did working on a game that got canceled teach you anything or was it just kind of, or was everything so new that you're like, of course games get canceled and you just move on? Uh, in that particular case, it was a thing where it was so early that, you know, I don't know, it, it always felt like a 50-50 thing. Okay. You know, like we were working on it you know kind of still as a pitch like hey can we get people excited about this as okay. something that's happening so yeah and it didn't work out but you know it happens yeah and, and what was your favorite thing you worked on there um 
it's actually the thing that I liked most was actually the thing I did on the production side of the internship, uh, which was um, a database of uh, gameplay videos that was searchable uh, from different games. And, and we were chronicling different game mechanics so that, oh, wow. you know, the idea being like if someone was like, yeah, I want to do this thing. It's kind of like the fishing in Ocarina of Time. Well, if you've played Ocarina of Time, you kind of know what they're talking about. But if you haven't, well, then you got to go get an N64 and get the game. To the, or you go to this database and pull up a video and you can just see and, you know, there's a write up of, you know, the controls and everything. And so, yeah, I was, um, you know, interviewing designers across the company and just, you know, what are the kind of top things they think about when they try to relate uh, gameplay concepts and then being the one to actually go into the games and uh, record and and put it all in. And so it was just this resource for designers to help get everybody on the same page when talking about certain concepts. That is awesome. I would say, though, uh, also that like uh, whoever made that suggestion that you would be a good producer was right. (laughs) Um, And did you enjoy production when you started, learned what it was and started doing it? Yeah, it was, you know, it's you know, just right off the bat, it was just like, okay, this is a new challenge. And then, um, that's ultimately what I like the most about production is that there's always something new, you know, uh, even, you know, on Psychonauts 2, uh, you know, been doing this in some capacity for 17 plus years and still coming across just brand new things that are like, okay, I've never seen this before. All right, well, let's figure out how we solve it. <laughs> yeah, that is, I mean, I think just in j- games in general, that is what's so fun about game development is that you are guaranteed that there will be, usually at a time when you least expect it and most don't want it to happen, a new <laughs> challenge to, to learn. But you took, a, you were at EA for about three years and then your career took a really radical turn. We were talking mm-hmm. before that I think maybe the only person who's ever left the game industry to work in a gift shop on a military base. <laughs> Can you tell us just a little bit about what, uh, why that happened? Uh, yeah. So my wife was, uh, active duty in the Navy and we got orders to go to Japan. So we moved to Japan and we're on the base. And after I actually did do a short stint at EA Tokyo for a bit. Um, but Ended up not working out until that's fine. So I'd just been on the base for a while. And um, one of the other spouses uh, was running the gift store. And she was like, you know, I think I'm done. I think you could do a good job here. And I, you know, like you you want to work. You want to feel like you're right. doing something. Uh, and so then this had been the longest I had gone without working since I graduated college. So, you know, kind of had the bug in me to try something new and yeah so i yeah i I ran the uh on-base gift store uh which was also a consignment shop uh for furniture when we were importing furniture from all over asia actually um and it was really interesting uh but also at the same time uh full validation to me that uh i don't belong in retail yeah was it hard to leave games just knowing that I mean, games is, you know, you were very fortunate that you were able to get an internship and turned into another internship, which turned into a full-time job. There's other people who try and get into games and it takes them years or they never make it. And you kind of had to like 
split. And, you know, so on the one hand, that's super admirable that, you, you know, you did that for your wife's career and everything. But on the other hand, how did that feel? It was tough. I mean, I'm not going to lie, because um, it's all I wanted to do was make games. Right. You know, I had that moment when I was younger and <clears throat> was just focused on it. Um, and so then when I got there, it's like, OK, well, now I'm I'm doing it. I'm here. It's, this is great. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was a thing that we talked about a lot before uh she accepted the orders and kind of you know what that would mean um because she knew it was a big deal um but you know it's one of those things that um you know it, co it comes around because you know now where we are in the bay area is because she moved for my job right right so yeah yeah you know Eventually it all works out. <laughs> now that's cool. It, it is, it's, it's, uh, uh, I guess we'll just use it as a trivia question now for <laughs> the strangest career change in video games, maybe. <laughs> and, and, and again, following sort of her career, you moved from Japan to Italy. Yep. And what did you do in Italy? Um, well, for a while, nothing, because, uh, when we got there, they made it very clear that, um, unemployment in Italy at the time was hovering around 20%. And so if there was a job, they weren't going to give it to a foreigner. Uh, so, and they basically said like, Hey, you could either work at the mini Mart on base or not work for the next couple of years. And I said, already established that I don't belong in retail. <laughs> um, so after a while I ended up, uh, giving my resume to a recruiting agency. Uh, and they actually paired me up with a studio in Scotland, uh, Real Time Worlds, and I interviewed and got the job. And again, one of those things we talk about and travel in Europe is easy enough. So uh, yeah, so I moved to Scotland while she was still in Italy and uh, actually turns out that she was actually able to take missions to Glasgow, which was just an hour train ride oh, nice. from where I was. So we'd see each other there and every now and again, I'd fly to Italy and sometimes we would meet in the middle. <laughs> That's cool. And what was the period of unemployment in, in Italy? Like, uh, what is an unemployed game industry person who, who kind of can't work? What do you do? Play a lot of games or? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I played games. I, you know, did some travel. Um, yeah, just, you know, tried to make the most of it. Uh, but you know, did, yeah, I was a house husband for a number of years. Um, which, you know, was fun at times, but also, like I said, like, you know, you want to work and you want to do the yeah. thing. So, um, which is what, you know, it eventually prompted me to decide to actually, that it, I'd be willing to move to another country if I needed to. Cool. And then eventually you came back to the U S to San Diego. Yeah. And how did you. Now you're back in the States. Was the intention like, I'm going to get back into games or were you just sort of. Well, so <laughs> the reason we moved back to the States um, and it's always a fun thing to say. Um, apparently, one of the last things I did uh, before leaving for Scotland was get my wife pregnant. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, thanks. So um, I was there. I had moved there and a couple of weeks later, she sends me pictures of her in the pregnancy test. I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> Um, and then just due to circumstance, we decided that we should move back to the U S to have the kids. So when we moved back, uh, and it was twins, 
Congrats. Huh? That's it's <laughs> a lot, but it's cool. Um Yeah, so when we moved back, um again, just the situation where I didn't need to work. So I actually was a stay at home dad for thirteen months. That's awesome. And I just took care of my kids for a while. And that always felt like work. So <laughs> didn't yeah, really yeah. have a didn't yeah, really yeah. have any uh, itch outside of that. And then yeah, eventually the thinking like, you know, yeah, I want to get back to it. You know, how do I do that? And the market in San Diego was um like there was there's Sony and there was Rockstar. Uh but it was a tough time. Uh but then I found uh, Pendulum Studios, uh their uh, animation studio and uh, they do cutscenes for games and they had a proprietary mocap system that would allow them to do things for a lot cheaper. Uh, and that was a really, that was a really good experience for me. Like I didn't realize at the time, but, um, cause I'd worked a little bit with outsourcers beforehand and I've ended since worked with a number of outsourcers, but having been on that side of the fence, you know, understanding you know, you know, the frustrations that those companies face when they're not getting the support from their clients, like they feel like they should be getting, but you kind of have to deal with it. Um, you know, I was able to use that knowledge to forge better relationships when I was back on the dev side. Oh, that's awesome. And, and yeah, now by this time you've worked at a publisher, you've worked at a developer, and now you're worked at a, an outsourced like service provider. Mm -hmm. It's starting to build like a pretty well-rounded career or, you know, just like sense of games. Like, do you, how do your sense of I'm trying to think the best way to ask this question is like over that period of your like working career up to that point in San Diego, like how did your sense of like what a video game is change? Well, so, yeah, a lot of it came from. My, my time at EA, I worked at four different studios. Well, I guess five if I include Tokyo. Um, <laughs> and um, just seeing how different teams do what they need to do to get things done, um, releasing games that were well-received. And probably I feel like I got the most learnings from releasing a game that was not well-received because I think that's the first time, you know, you know, as a player, you know, you play a game and it's, maybe not what you expect it to be. And you kind of wonder to yourself, like, you know, how does it happen? And then to actually live through it and go like, oh yeah, this is how it happens. Um, and it's not that it's, you know, it's, it's almost never like, you know, boy, there was just that one person who was just completely stubborn regardless. Right. It's, it's a confluence of things that, um, but, you know, but, you know, having that sense of, you know, Developers are always trying to make the best thing that they can. Absolutely. And I think uh, that's a realization that I think not enough players have. And, uh, you know, the lazy dev thing <laughs> that you hear a lot, um, you know, just knowing that that is unequivocally untrue. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've both been in the game industry a long time. Nobody's ever sat down and said, like, oh, let's make a bad one. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but I, I agree. Like, I think you do learn just a ton from the, um, from the ones that are, don't go the way you want. Yeah. So what, what made you leave, uh, the animation studio? 
another move. <laughs> uh, so my wife had left the Navy and got a job in the uh, pharmaceutical industry for Merck. And that was in Pennsylvania. So, you know, went and followed her again. Because, and, and again, a thing that you talk about and decide, you know, is, is it the right move? And, um, you know, looked ahead of time in uh, the Philadelphia area. Uh, very vibrant indie scene, which is actually really cool to go in and, and be a part of. Um, and it gave me the opportunity to teach because that's yeah, actually that's cool. what ended up being the most sense for, for me to do. Cause um, like I said, very vibrant indie scene, a lot of, you know, five person groups, yeah. but you know, it's kind of hard to yeah kind of break into that on your own. So, uh, but yeah, at a local convention, I ended up talking with uh, a person who was a professor at uh, the community college in our area and they had a game development program that they were trying to really spin up. And so when he found out that, yeah, that I'm a game dev, he's like, okay, we got to talk. Uh, and we did. And yeah, so I taught a, uh, an intro to game dev course for a that semester. So cool. <laughs> How much work was it to put together the curriculum for the course? It was a lot. I mean, again, this is also just one of those things where yeah. it's like, you know, you know, teachers work hard, but then you do the thing and it's like, oh, yeah, no, this is like, it's a lot because, yeah, I had to, you know, I wanted it to be a project based class. So, you know, building out the progression of projects over the course of the semester, um, you know, knowing the lessons and plans that you want to do, um, getting everything set up so that you can actually properly grade things and um and also you know you have you make yourself available for office hours and um yeah like it was a a lot and one of those things where it's like yeah we really don't pay teachers enough <laughs> totally totally yeah it's uh and was it in the end was it pretty satisfying to to get to do like to to help the kids oh everything? yeah um especially because uh you know i made a specific point of saying you know over the course of the semester, you know, make your project, you upload it here, I'll play your build, and go from there. Final project, you're not sending me a build. You're sending me a link either to the, you know, the App Store or the Google Play Store oh, or wow. Itch or Steam or whatever it is, but you're going to publish. So this was a one semester course? Yeah. So you took kids or students, mm -hmm. I should say, because I, I don't know their ages, from uh, like not knowing anything about game development to the expectation that they're going to have a published game on an app store in a semester. Yeah. And, you know, right up, I set the expectation right up front though, that like, you know, we're not making a GTA. We're not making a world of Warcraft. This, this is going to be, you know, a small thing, but it's going to be a complete thing. And having gone through that whole process, this is the thing I tell, uh, you know, people who are starting out or trying to get in that, you know, being able to finish is one of the most important things, right? Like there are 3 billion game projects that get started and the overwhelming majority of them never get finished. And you don't have to put out something that's, you know, top of the steam charts. But if you do the whole thing beginning to end, it shows that you are you know, committed to working on something to the end. And that is so valuable to companies who are looking for people, right? Like we can teach, you know, 
you can be taught different tools, but no one wants to teach you to finish. If, if you can show up knowing how to finish, you're you're already, you know, a step ahead of a whole lot of other people. Yeah. You know, I know you have a cool job now, but if we could maybe get you back into education, that might, uh, <laughs> that might, that, that is just so amazing. And it's so, um, you know, I, I used to be a producer, you know, in my former life and, uh, only a producer would think that you can teach a game dev course and get kids from, you know, get students from like blank sheet of paper to app store in a semester. And so that's, and, and what, what percentage actually made it? Oh, they all did. That's so awesome. That is so <laughs> awesome. That is so cool. And how, how did, was it just like one semester that you taught that course? Yeah. Cause actually, um, about six weeks before the semester ended was when I got the job at Telltale. So you know, I went and talked to my manager and said, like, you know, I have the opportunity to go back into it. So I'm going to do that. But don't worry, I'm going to finish the semester. So, yeah, I I did that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, if if we were going to if I hadn't gotten that job, we were going to be in that area for longer. I, I would have stayed and done it. Right on. Well, I think that um, if folks listening to the podcast take one thing from this, like <laughs> your lesson about like finishing is just huge. And it's, it's I think, just like uh, it's the uh, it's what I say all the time to, you know, people who are thinking about making a game and like, what should I do? And just like, just finish it. Like, mm -hmm. It doesn't it doesn't have to be great. Like, it's just got to be done. And the next one can be. Yep. So that that is super fantastic. And I'm sure that those students. um that's got to be hugely meaning for them, meaningful for them to be able to point their family at the itch or wherever. Yeah, so. no, and then that's what I told them too. Is like that that feeling of because again, it's one thing to have a build that you you know USB key and you run it whatever, but it is another thing to say like no, you go to this link and you click the button and then it downloads to you because it's there and there's description and screenshots and all that other good stuff. Yeah, that is fantastic. But then left academia, which is now you been just about in every angle of video game development including <laughs> teaching about it but back into the back into the uh the heart of it, it with like a frontline studio with telltale and how was that like you had been we didn't talk about it but you also <laughs> spent some time doing mobile stuff as well yeah like uh how did it feel to go back into kind of like triple a development it was good i was i was really ready for it um because like you said yeah i did a uh some mobile so i was uh, contract programming, production and design and worked on a couple, uh, mobile apps, uh, that were, um, 3d children's storybooks. And they were actually pretty cool. They were like, you know, we used unity to build out the scenes in 3d. So, you know, the, it was this, you know, fully interactive space that you could explore as, um, uh, for kids to do as they, as they learn fairy tales. Um, but that was still a little primary, primarily an alone thing. Um, and then, you know, you're teaching and that's still kind of primarily an alone yeah. thing. Uh, so, yeah, I was I was very ready to get back to, you know, the collaborative nature of being in a studio and just being alongside other devs. That's cool. And after so much not time away, but it's sort of time away from like traditional video game development or you know, AAA or frontline, whatever you want to call it. How did it feel to get back into the studio? Like, was it, was it as good as you, was oh, it yeah, what no, you I wanted? Mean, I, 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 I loved it. And I mean, and you want to talk about a place where you're going to, you know, 
have challenges. I mean, <laughs> I mean, people people know a lot about know some of what happened with Telltale, obviously, but um, you know, it had its own process that was quite different from uh, any other place that I worked because it was um, very heavily modeled after. Um, TV, basically, you know, you, we had scripts, we did table reads that, and Dance. then that all rolled into then actually making, uh, the episode. So, you know, there was that learning curve of like, okay, well, this is how they do it here. And then, yeah, every episode would present its own unique challenges. So yeah. And really getting back to, to that and being able to do that problem solving to be around, you know, anywhere you go, just, People who make games are just ridiculously talented people. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when you're around those creative people and, you know, getting to know them more and find out about, you know, things that they do in their spare time, that's like, that's really cool. You know, just having all of that was was great to have again. That's awesome. And then about five years ago, a little bit more, maybe. Telltale. Mm ended and double fine started so yep. tell us everything <laughs> um well so i mean if we want to get to the actual end of my time at uh telltale um had just finished uh batman season two episode four uh, had done a late night <laughs> uh so i was going to be in late the next day anyway and i guess that's the day where they gathered people up to let them know. And this was the first round of of the layoffs. Um, but I remember I woke up and uh, checked my email as I do and just saw a string of it's my last day emails. I was like, oh, man, something's going on. And then at the top of my inbox, a letter from my EP saying, hey, come find me when you get in. So I was like, all right, I know what comes next. <laughs> oh, that's not a good email to get. <laughs> I mean... You know, it's it's one of those things where, I mean, I knew that the company was struggling in some places. And at a certain point, it's, not, you know, it's a thing I tell you, if you're in this industry long enough, you you see layoffs, you're on, you're on one side or the other. And so, you know, I'd seen them at EA. Um, actually, I, I guess I just missed them at Real Time Worlds. Um, so, again, like, I mean, I knew it was I knew it was coming in some form anyway. And so, but this was the first time that I was on this side of it. So, uh, yeah, so I went in and I wrote my, it's my last day telltale, uh, email. Um, and that was that, they, you know, they were going to have a job fair in a week. And so I thought to myself, all right, well, I've got a week. I'll hang out for a bit. The next day I get an email from, uh, Carol Shaw, who, uh, we worked at Telltale together, but she had since left, had gone to Amazon for a bit, and at that point was the uh, VP of development at Double Fine. Email from her says, send me your resume. And I was just like, whoa, I thought I had time. <laughs> um, and so I did, and she said she had a great opportunity for me, and I went and I interviewed, and seemed like everybody else at Double Fine liked me as well, and so... Uh, was able to get a production job there and worked on Rad, which was a ton of fun. It was <laughs> I feel like you just missed an opportunity. 
to describe it as rad. I, we did that so many times. Yeah. We did that so many times. I think I might actually be over that joke. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, worked on rad, um, and then moved on to a project that we then had to put on hold because we had to have everybody work on Psychonauts two. And I'm fine saying this now because it's in the documentary, which shameless plug if you haven't seen the psych odyssey watch the documentary yeah it's 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 great yeah it's amazing <laughs> i, I it, it's uh well i want to get to that well i'll just i'll just ask it now what, what was it like to so you've been in games for years at this point um to be part of a documentary where people are really trying to um not, not that other documentaries don't tell the truth but really trying to like truly document like what it's like to make a game like how does that affect the process of production just having the cameras there and that sort of thing in the end it doesn't and it's weird because you know when i started for the first month i definitely always saw the camera in the right. corner of the room um but after a while it just kind of fades away the the two-player production crew is just really good about not being intrusive right so yeah eventually you just forget that they're there and you and you just work with the people that are there. And then, you know, every now and again, you'll walk out of a meeting and go, ooh, that dumb thing I said is on camera. <laughs> um, but other than that, yeah, it just kind of all fades away, which I think is great because, you know, to your point, like it is like it is the real process. And yeah. the cameras are in the meeting rooms and doing the thing. And over the course of the the series, you know, some, you know, some rough there were some rough times yeah right yeah it was real yeah and the fact that as a company we're not afraid to show that is something i absolutely love because um yeah you we're giving people that window into the process like this industry is notoriously opaque (laughs) yeah um and it it results in those moments where kind of like you know the realization i had when i was a kid right like people make games maybe i can be one of those people so here it is now you're seeing the people make the games and um you know if we're if we can create a space where people can you know see themselves in that space you know and you see the ups and downs and still go yeah this is something that i want to do well then you know then then that's someone who's going to be dedicated to the craft and will most likely make the industry a better place yeah yeah absolutely and it's i think it's just uh yeah I, I think that's a great take on it and i think you know as a kid you know i'd see the behind the scenes thing where you know how they made star wars and how they got the laser sound and everything <laughs> else but there was never anything like that for games and i think like this documentary is one of the it's one of the there's been a couple books that have gone into it lightly but it's one of the best places to see what it's really like to make a game and i'm always of two minds because on the one hand i'm like it's so hard i want everyone to know and on the other hand i think you know from the outside it's probably not that interesting it's a lot of people <laughs> typing and having like meetings where they say a lot of buzz you know acronyms and jargon but i think that um the production company did a fantastic job bringing it home and yeah to your point if if somebody can watch that and be like yes then like please like <laughs> We need them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Two player did just an amazing job, especially because, you know, 
the thing that they wanted to convey was the humanity side. Like it's, it is ultimately a, a documentary series about people who are trying to create something. And the thing we're creating just happens to be a video game, but you know, it is about the people and the journey that they are. The reason it's called psych odyssey is because it really was a journey for everyone involved. Um, And yeah, just, you know, showing the humanity of it, you know, and then, you know, we've seen the impact. You know, I mentioned the whole lazy devs thing before. We actually saw um, a tweet from somebody who watched the series and said, well, one, apologize for ever using that phrase and said that they weren't ever going to use it again because, you know, after actually seeing and getting an understanding, like it, it hit them that just like, no, there are, there are no lazy devs, just stuff happens. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So what... um What's it like to work at Double Fine? You know, Tim's <laughs> got a great reputation. The other folks at Double Fine have a great reputation. I think a lot of developers, or sorry, I was going to say a lot of players, but I, honestly, a lot of developers to think about Double Fine. They've seen shots of the office um, and they think like, this has got to be a magical place. <laughs> so what's it What's it like? What's, what's it like being there? Uh, I mean, I love it. I do think it is uh, magical in the sense that, um, you know, like I said, you know, you're, at any game studio you're at, you're around a lot of really uh, talented people, but um, the the culture that we have cultivated and continue to try to you know uh, you know keep alive and 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 refine over time um, is based so much on creativity that it's great on the one hand because we're gonna do really great. I mean, from a production standpoint, it's like you know because. Uh, Creativity will drive the schedule, not the other way around, uh, which is just as well, because to be honest, when I was at Telltale, I, a lesson I learned to tell that you can't time box creativity. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Tim really believes that creativity comes from anywhere. And I think, you know, the uh, the story of uh, Asif, who was... Uh, he was one of the cameramen for two player. Um, he had a game idea that he wanted to pitch at an amnesia Fortnite, and Tim encouraged him to do it. Uh, so he did, and it was chosen as one of the projects to make. And so, so here's a guy who just had an idea, never worked in games before, uh, had a team, they put together their prototype. Um, it was, uh, the gods must be hungry. And it, you know, it was well-received. It was good. The next Amnesia Fortnite, he has another idea. So, of course, Tim's like, yeah, you should do it. He pitches it. It gets chosen. And this time, you know, he's got a better sense of at least what he's getting into. And again, the prototype ended up being really great. And at that point, he kind of caught the design bug. Um, and so that's what he is. He's a designer. Now. That's awesome. Uh, you know, and... I don't know that I've ever worked anywhere that someone working on the video team can become yeah. a designer. And then even to the point where um, the uh, Compton level in Psychonauts 2 is basically the Psychonauts 2 version of The Gods Must Be Hungry. So he's able to take his first idea and adapt it into a level oh, in Psychonauts cool. 2. How? Uh, that, that is super cool. 
I do I do want to kind of poke a little bit more about this sort of creativity versus production. Mm-hmm. There is this you know sense in the industry that producers are trying to you know get things to be on time and creatives are you know <laughs> and and I, and it is it's not real. You know anybody who works in the game industry knows that's not 100% real, but it's also not 100% not real. How do you manage that at Double Fine? Because Tim definitely seems like a creative, but but I also, you know, having just known him for a little while and stuff, like it also seems like he he likes to hire people who are good producers, you know, <laughs> and, and so so there's clearly some to me, there's something some self-awareness there that like, yeah, he you know, he he wants some structure to be creative inside. And how do you, how does that actually play out in in a sort of day-to-day or week-to-week basis? Uh well, I, I don't know. I feel like talking about production in a day-to-day way is weird and almost unknowable. But <laughs> yeah, no, that's um, fair. But yeah, I mean, from an overall perspective, yeah, I mean, it is about balancing the the push and pull of the creativity versus the schedule and um, and like normal production things, maintaining scope. Um, but a lot of what you're at least the way I had always been approaching it was just provide the information so that educated decisions can be made. So it's like, okay, yeah, I see you want to do this. It's a bit more than what we were talking about before. So what are we not doing over here to make up for the, because if the time's not going to change and, you know, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to crunch the team. That's not a lever we want to pull. So there really does leave us with, it's with scope and time. And usually time is less flexible than scope. So, um, but just, you know, presenting these options and just trying to find the ways of, you know, of prioritization and, okay, yeah, if, if this is what you really want and it's that important to you, then we're going to very explicitly not do this and we're going to be okay with that. And that's generally the philosophy. And it's just that trade off constantly. Uh, as things get built out because you know sometimes there's just a really good thought that happens um and if you've got time to do it you know i want i want the team to feel like they can go after those things that they're really passionate about um but i've also had to use the phrase like yeah that that's a great idea six months ago (laughs) um that's awesome and you still loving it oh yeah yeah, um, I've been in this position for uh, right around two years now, uh, which was definitely something new for me. Oh, this has been uh, pretty new, but, um, you know, I feel like I've been really well supported by the studio as I've kind of learned the ins and outs of uh, what I need to do as director of development. And um, yeah, i I haven't worked anywhere as long as I've been at Double Fine and I plan to stay here as long as they'll have me. <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah, you just hit on something that, that I that I didn't get to, unfortunately. Like you're not just a producer anymore. You are the the director of development. Yeah. Which is a little bit more than <laughs> how, how does how, how how did that role change, you know, in that kind of like larger scoped role? Is it hard to step into? Is it something you're waiting for? Or how did that go? 
it was not something I was waiting for. Um, and it was actually something that I didn't really ever think I would do, to be honest. And this goes back to when I was at EA working at uh, Tiburon on Madden. I had spoken with the uh, GM of the studio and he had come up through production. Uh, and so I had asked him, so like, you know, if you're the general manager of a studio, like you're just running a business, like the business happens to be a game business, but like just business stuff. Like, do you miss being on product? And he just like, yeah, I definitely miss being on product. And like in my head, I was like, okay, mental note, maybe tap out at EP because I want to be on, I want to yeah. be on product. Um, but this is just another way that like double fine is unique in that, you know, obviously I am more separated. I'm not on any one project. I have to have a, a wider view than that, but I still can feel connected enough to the projects that I still, you know, the teams are making the games that they're making and, you know, the, the, the type of influence that I have is like, I don't want to be a overly I don't want to feel like anything's coming top down. Uh, you know, I really feel like my job is to support those teams as best as possible, make sure that they have what they need to be successful. Um, but I can still know enough about what's going on to still kind of, you know, feel like I'm, I'm making, you know, tangible contributions as opposed to, you know, a position like this at a larger company. I think you just get so separated that, like I said, it's your, a business person not to say i'm not a business person i am in some sure. sense um but i still get to be you know pretty close to product cool and what okay just uh, just bring it all the way back if your eight-year-old self could see you now you know the day you realized you know somebody actually made these 2600 games and could see what you're doing now as a director of development in san francisco working with the famous game creator and everything what 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 does he say that's not real weird future person <laughs> i mean you know, i've thought about that i mean i bought full throttle when it came out <laughs> yeah i remember when i was interviewing at double fine um uh the end of the interview process is a one-on-one -on -one with tim so like i go and i sit down in tim schaefer's office and just in my head it's like don't be a crazy fanboy. Don't be a crazy fanboy. <laughs> be normal right now. Um, yeah, no, just the idea that, you know, yeah, me being in this place is just, it's not anything I would have ever, I mean, I would have been happy to just, you know, if I had become that designer or that programmer still doing things, you know, I, I love this medium so much that I'm happy that I just get to participate. The fact that I've been able to, like also just have a successful career um just it's just like the cherry on top like to me it really is about you know being in the process and doing it and being able to help teams make cool games <laughs> yeah that is awesome and getting to work with somebody like tim is yeah it is a cherry on top i think <laughs> so cool well i think uh we can end it here like uh Unless, what are your final final words and final <laughs> final advice for somebody who's thinking about getting in the game industry? Um, one, like I said, learn to finish. <laughs> um, but also, I think 
I think it's important to know what types of games that you want to work on. Like the industry at this point is so big and varied that I think there's great opportunity to really get to something that you're very passionate to a lot earlier in your career. You know, like uh, I think the idea of paying your dues is not really applicable right now. Yeah, that's very interesting advice because I think that there's still it, it, one of the problems I think is because there's there's a lot of seasoned people in the game industry now, which in, in one sense is good, but in another sense, you ask them how do you get in, and they're like, you need to be a tester, and then you go from tester to AP, and then you go from <laughs> AP to you know, yeah. and, they, and they lay out this line of you know how you get in the game industry, which makes absolute sense in like 2003, <laughs> but like 20 years later, it's probably better to like you said just. Well, I interrupted you, so I don't know what you oh, said. Oh, yeah, no, well, yeah, I mean, it's really but, just about, you know, like, you know, if you, you can just go work on the types of things that you want to work on. And whether that's at a big company or a small company, like there are enough or a company you start yourself, really, you know, the, the opportunities to, you know, find your way in are so much more varied now. I mean, you know, like. I, if DigiPen existed when I was going to college, I would have gone to DigiPen, um, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, just knowing that the opportunities are out there. And like I said, you don't have to feel like you're, you know, compromising or like I said, the, the paying your dues kind of thing. Like you could you can get to just loving this industry from the start. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I think... Um, what would you say to somebody who's like you've you've demonstrated a lot of like resiliency in your career like you know for a lot of people like le just leaving games straight up and and really being out for for a year or two or or even longer it's like hard to get back into the industry what advice would you give to somebody who's who's dealing with that either left voluntarily or left involuntarily because of the you know the the layoffs that sometimes happen in terms of like how do you how do you um how do you get back in? Um, like you said, it is just perseverance. It's trying. You know, like I applied at Telltale at least four times before I got the the job that I got. Um, and sometimes that's just what it takes. Um, but I think the great thing though is that the game dev community as a whole is so supportive of each other, right? Like, you know, you hear about layoffs, and the first thing you're thinking of is okay, yeah, who's been affected? What opportunities are out there? How can we help link people up with opportunities? You know, so, uh, but yeah, just knowing that sometimes it, sometimes it just takes a while. Um, and at least in my case too, I had to actually get a uh, professional resume writer to help me too, because because of those gaps in mine, um, like, I had him review it. And the first thing he said is like, it looks like, it looks like you're a job hopper. And which is just like, not a thing that was ever in my mind. Um, but then once he said it, it was like, Oh yeah, I can see it. And so just restructuring it to tell a more cohesive story, uh, actually was very effective in helping me at least get to the inner interview stage more often. So, um, yeah, sometimes, you know, you just got to, you know, keep at it, but also, you know, 
change up the tactics every now and again if you have to. But, you know, if you, you know, if you have the passion, someone will see it and, you know, you'll find your way back. Now that's awesome. All right. I think we, I think we'll end it there. Thanks so much for uh, taking this time out from Dice, uh, Dice Europe uh, to, uh, to talk to us. And uh, this is an amazing story. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for the Game Makers Notebook. For more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.